Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Gift of Grace on the Word 1220. This is Phil Gioiotti here again on another awesome Sunday night. And this is the Gift of Grace, where we read and teach God's Word, and we proclaim the kingdom and salvation in Jesus the Messiah. So I hope you've had an awesome week, and I hope you've had a uh, happy new year. And I want to wish a happy new year to our listeners and whoever listens on the podcast and whatever other places this gets posted to. I can't always remember. But anyway, um, so I hope you had a happy new year. And this is going to be a very amazing year coming up, as every year is. And as we're here, you know, intensifying in this battle between the between Christ and the Antichrist, between the gospel and the anti-gospel, we're all called to be soldiers in this fight, and this is not the time for church as usual, and this is not the time to sit back, watch TV, and say, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about it. This is a time to stand on the truth with a capital T, and we'll, I'm sure, be talking more about that as the year goes on, but that's not going to be the topic for tonight, although... It should be everybody's topic every day because the days are growing short. Tonight we're going to talk about what's commonly called the Epiphany, which is the Magi, the three wise men, the three kings, they're called by a variety of titles, going to visit probably not newborn Jesus, but probably, well couple to few weeks old Jesus at least. The scriptures don't tell us any kind of time frame of when they showed up. And it's sometimes difficult to think about all these events when you consider the presentation that we talked about last week and talk about the flight into Egypt, which we haven't talked about this year. But um, you know that an angel warned Joseph in a dream to take the child and his mother and go to Egypt. Uh, Herod was killing all the baby boys two years old and less. So it's hard to kind of put a timeline on all of this because we don't really get enough details in the Bible. But nevertheless, we can talk about the Magi coming. And last week we talked about the angels and the shepherds and um, or maybe it was two weeks ago. No, maybe it was last week. I can't remember anymore. But anyway, we talked about the angels and the shepherds because the birth of the Messiah, which of course happened in Bethlehem, the city of David, in the land of Judah, was unnoticed by the rest of the world, was unnoticed by probably even a lot of local people, but was announced um, to shepherds by angels. So common people got the announcement by heavenly messengers, which the angels are messengers. That's where we get the word angel from the Greek angelos. The people who were in the immediate area who had a lowly occupation became aware, were informed that the son of David had been born in the city of David, and that he was the Messiah, he was the Savior, he was the Redeemer. And 
without hesitating, they went to see what had happened. We don't know if anybody else went. We don't know if passers-by stopped in. We don't know if anybody else in the city said, hey, let's go over there and see what's going on, because it doesn't tell us that. If the scriptures don't comment on something, it's easy to speculate, but we don't really know for sure. And so this is not exactly what the Jews expected in terms of a messiah, in terms of a conquering military political figure who is going to reestablish the kingdom of David and Solomon. This is not exactly what they had in mind, a king being born in a stable or cave or whatever it was with animals lying in a manger, which was a feeding trough for animals in an obscure town. And even though it had been prophesied by the prophet Micah, as we discussed last week or the other week, they didn't really, there was really no way for them at this point to put this together. But this is not what they expected. Now, Matthew in chapter 2 gives us the account of the Magi, of the wise men. We know that they were from the east. We know that they were probably astrologers. They were probably some kind of priests. They were probably some kind of scholars. I, I don't think there's any evidence that they were kings or sometimes called the three kings. And as a matter of fact, we didn't even know that there were three of them. The number three is based on the fact that three gifts are mentioned. But it's possible that four or five or seven people came and brought three very expensive gifts. Well, we don't know exactly, but it doesn't really matter. Let's assume that there were three <clears throat> for the sake of discussion. But there's one thing that really matters here. And the reason that this commemoration, this <clears throat> holiday, which has been actually celebrated in the Western Church, even before Christmas was celebrated, the Feast of the Epiphany was celebrated before Christmas was celebrated as a generally agreed upon day, was the fact that the Epiphany comes from the Greek word for manifestation. And as I said, we don't know a lot about these men. We don't know even where they came from exactly. But there's one thing that we know for sure, and that is that they were not Jews. There is no question in anybody's mind that these three men were not Jews, that they were Gentiles, that they were most likely from a pagan background, definitely lived in pagan societies, and they came to see the newborn king. They came to see the newborn Messiah. They came to see the newborn Messiah of the Jews. Now, isn't that interesting? I like to think, and I don't know, I've not studied this. I'm not a scholar. I don't know if this is true or not. But I like to think that going back to the book of Numbers where Balaam, Balaam, gives the prophecy about a star will arise out of Jacob, that these men knew that prophecy. And also in other traditions, when a prominent star appeared, that a great king had been born, 
and so I, I I think that these men, being scholars, educated, probably knew that. So they set out to see, and that's in Numbers twenty four, by the way. Um, I can't remember the exact verse, but um, this is where Naaman, who's I'm sorry, Naaman. Uh, Balaam, who is supposed to curse the Israelites and is also a, a, a priest of Midian, so he's a pagan priest, has a messianic prophecy. And as you know, I'm going to paraphrase it, but he says, I see him, but not now. I uh, behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So in other words, a star is going to come, that announced that a ruler is going to be in Israel. And so this is what they were reacting to. And this is a prefigurement. This is a foreshadowing of the fact that Gentiles came and Jews did not. And the overall rule since, since birth of Messiah is that the Gentiles came and the Jews did not. Now, of course, not every Gentile came by no means, and not every Jew rejected him by no means, but in general. And Paul points out in several places, but especially in Romans um, chapters 9, 10, and 11, which are all about Israel, he points out there that Gentiles have come to faith to make the Jews jealous, and there'll be a period of time that this will go on, and then all Israel will be saved, which is going to be an event that occurs just before Jesus comes back. And even Zechariah um, says in chapter uh, 12 that there's going to the spirit's going to fall in Jerusalem, and they're going to look on him whom they whom they have pierced, and they're going to mourn as you mourn for an only son. And so all Israel will be saved. And so they saw a star, and they came. King Herod, who gets involved in this, and we're not going to read the whole scripture because I'm sure you know this, and if you don't, I don't even know what to say. But you're going to read it in Matthew chapter two, verses one through twelve. Uh, because I want to make some points before the before the time runs out, and it's already ticking down. King Herod, who is, well, a puppet king of the Romans, he's um, half Jew and half Edomite. He's not a uh, spiritual person by any sense. He's concerned by his own in his own power. He's concerned in his own position, obviously. And he has no idea about what's going on here when the Magi show up. And interestingly, too, back going back to the book of Genesis, you know, I always go back to Genesis 49, chapter 49, where Jacob, Israel, is, is about to die, and he blesses the sons. And when he gets to Judah, he basically says that Judah's going to be a lion who's going to devour his prey. And that's one of the reasons that Messiah is called the Lion of Judah, 
when Jesus comes back, he is the Lion of Judah. He is not the suffering servant. He is not the Lamb. He's the suffering. He's the Lion of Judah. And Jacob also points out that Judah is going to have the scepter. The rulers were going to come from the tribe of Judah. And of course, David was from the tribe of Judah, and Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. But Jacob points out in that blessing, which is really amazing, that Messiah will come when the scepter has departed from Judah. In other words, there won't be power in Jerusalem. There won't be a political, economic, military power. There won't be even a sovereign state when Messiah comes. And this was certainly true at the time because the Romans were in control. And before that, a whole variety of people had been in control going back to Alexander the Great. And after the exile, after the exiles came back from Babylon, there were no more kings. So the scepter had it, in fact, departed from Judah. And so this is why a lot of people went to see John the Baptist, because they knew the time was near. So now was the time for Messiah. So these guys, even though they're not Israelites, they're not Jews, and most likely are astrologers and pagan priests, and the name Magi comes from the word for magic, God uses things like this for his own purposes. He used Balaam, speaking of which, who was a pagan priest. In many others, he used Haman the um, the Syrian, who was the, the pagan who was healed of leprosy. And all of these, there's many examples. We don't even have time to go through them all. But he uses so many times whatever is going around in non-Hebrew circles, let's say, for want of a better term, for his own purposes. And in this case, the purpose was to bring these magi to Bethlehem to see the newborn Messiah, or recently born Messiah, I should say. And it says that they were men of the East. They were from the East. Now, when Jews talked about the East, they usually meant well, kind of the far Middle East, Arabia. And people had also come to pay homage to David and Solomon from these areas. And we know, of course, even from Africa, from Ethiopia, the Queen of Sheba came to pay homage to, to Solomon. But the men of the East, people of the East, uh, were not Jews. They were all pagans. And they had come to pay homage to David and Solomon. And now these three Gentiles come with no question in their mind that the king of the Jews has been born. I, it doesn't tell us they came because they thought this was the Messiah, that they had a concept of what that was. I'm sure they probably did. And I think they probably, that that's probably the reason that they came, because there's no accounts of Magi coming from the east anytime any, any of the other kings of Judah or the kings of the northern kingdom were born. So this was a pretty special event. And they call him king of the Jews. Now, if they knew the Jewish prophecies, which apparently they didn't in terms of Bethlehem or the Micah prophecy that we talked about, because they go to Jerusalem looking for him, not to 
Bethlehem, but they get to Jerusalem, and they have this amazing encounter with Herod and the religious leaders. I mean, there's already a cause of division going on with between Messiah and the religious leaders, and he is a baby. He is t- newborn, and they, they they want the Magi want to see him and to honor him. The Jews in Jerusalem have no clue what they're talking about. Now, did they get to Jerusalem because they thought he would be born there? I don't know. Did they get to Jerusalem because they thought everybody there would be excited that Messiah was born, that the newborn king was here, and that he, 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 everybody would be so excited in the city that they wanted to kind of join in the celebration? And they also seem to have this feeling that he's going to also be their king in some way which of course he is, and they come from such a far place through a really long, uncomfortable journey. I don't know if you've ever been on a camel, but I was on a camel for about 20 minutes, and that was more than enough for me. The smell and the way the the thing walks, and I mean, they're beautiful animals, but when I got off that camel... (laughs) I had to go back to the place where we were staying and shower and change my clothes because the smell was overwhelming. So and that was 20 or 30 minutes I was on the camel. These guys would have been on camels for weeks, maybe. Quite a while, at least a couple of weeks, moving at, you know, 10 or 12 miles an hour. is about as fast as a camel can go at normal speed. I mean, it would take quite a long time to get there. But they came all that way on an uncomfortable, uncertain journey through very difficult places. This wasn't a place with interstate highways and rest stops and restaurants and donut shops along the way. This was a desert. This was minimally inhabited. There were no places that were, there were oases once in a while and, you know, these places where travelers stopped once in a while. But it's a very, very difficult, uncomfortable journey to find the Messiah. And when you think about it, how does that apply to us? Well, we know who the Messiah is. We know who the King is. We know who the Redeemer is. And we don't even want to go to church if it's raining. We don't even want to go to church if it's cold. We don't even want to drive in our warm car to church if it's snowing. We wouldn't walk to church unless we lived a block from the place. These guys came hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles on smelly animals through very difficult terrain because they were searching for the truth, capital T. They were going to see the Messiah. We've all journeyed to see the Messiah, and most people's reaction is, oh, yeah, mm -hmm, yep, yep, know the Messiah, yep. These guys went through an ordeal to find him. And interestingly, when they get to Jerusalem, they ask, where is he? Where's the newborn king? There's no question in their mind that he's been born. They ask the religious leaders, basically, they ask Herod even, 
They ask the people standing around who have no clue what they're even talking about. How does that apply to us in the 21st century Western culture with so much advancement and so much technology? Well, we can't always rely on people who are supposed to lead us to Christ to lead us to Christ. We can't always expect church leaders, especially in our time, now that the church has become like the world, and soon it'll be indistinguishable if it even exists anymore. It will, it will exist, but it will not certainly not exist in its present form shortly. People that should lead us to Christ are now leading us into the world, leading us away. And the same thing happened with these guys. Now, Herod, you know, he's the king. He wants to preserve his power. He doesn't want scripture to be fulfilled. He doesn't want newborn kings. He doesn't want his reign ended. You know, when these guys roll into town and say, you know, we're, we're, we're looking for the king of the Jews, Herod's thinking, oh, wait a minute, I'm the king of the Jews. What are you guys talking about? He doesn't want these things to be fulfilled. So he gets a little nervous, and he, and he gathers, it says he gathers the chief priests and the scribes. You know, these were the teachers of the law. These were the students of the law. These were the so-called teachers of Israel, like um, Nicodemus was. And he asked them one question. He says, where is the Messiah to be born? And the men who answer his questions don't say, oh, wait a minute. Um, not sure, but we're going to get back to you in a little while with the answer and send some flunky up to find the scroll. No, they immediately answer with the prophecy from Micah chapter 5 to say, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be born in the city of David because he's the son of David. And a few days or a few weeks or a couple of weeks or a couple of months before this, angels had told those shepherds that in the city of David, the Messiah was born that day, not someday, not some, that day, the Messiah was born in the city of David. And so they immediately knew the prophecy. These Gentiles came because they knew he had been born. The religious people who should know these things did not know that he was born. Herod covers his evil intentions with these you know, religious claims. Oh, yes, where's the Messiah to be born? He's asking that because he wants to prevent any newborn king from becoming an adult king. Because then he and his family would be, would be threatened. So the leaders, now this is the part that really gets me. The Magi then go on to Bethlehem. Now, they were told by the religious leaders that it was going to be Bethlehem, the city of David, where this king was going to be born. Not a single one of them, not a single representative of Herod, not a single representative of the high priest, not a single Levite of any, of any level went with them. Nobody went with them to see what had happened in the town where the prophet said the Messiah was going to be born. These magi came 
hundreds and hundreds and maybe a thousand or twelve hundred miles. And these guys wouldn't go from the temple area to Bethlehem, which is probably about eight to ten miles. I don't know, the place we stay at in Jerusalem, if we drive uh, on the road to Bethlehem, it's probably 10, 15 minutes by car through city streets and you're in Bethlehem. So a little longer by camel, I guess. But not a single one of his own people, not a single one of the covenant people went. So how is that a lesson for us? We have to go and worship even if nobody else goes. Even if the people at your church have forgotten about worship, have forgotten about preaching the gospel, have forgotten about the truth, you still have to do it. These men went after this long journey, despite what the religious leaders thought, that they didn't lift a finger to go. And it says they rejoiced again when they saw the star, because they were guided to where he was going to be. So, wow, this is quite a fascinating story. And we didn't even have time to get into the gifts. And I know the music's already playing. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you'll join join with us again next week on The Gift of Grace. So have an awesome week.